tonight, we are going to turn to Nehemiah, and looking at our next gate here, a very interesting one called the Dung Gate. I wonder what that's about, amen? <laughs> that's probably a lot like what you're thinking. Nehemiah 3.14, it's talking uh, about the rebuilding of this particular gate uh, and this particular wall. It says in verse 14, but the Dung Gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the part of Beth Karim, and he built it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would give power to bring forth this message tonight in a way that would be, make sense, and Lord, that uh, we'd be able to apply it to our lives in a way tonight that we discard those things that we need to get rid of. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, we know that as a child of God, um, that, you know, Jesus Christ, when he came and died on the cross, we know that he came to take away the sin of the world, and I've preached a lot about that, uh, you know, that uh, pra- or positionally as a child of God, that your sin has been removed as far as your position before the Father in heaven. You don't have to worry about him uh, judging you for that. There's a judgment seat of Christ for believers, but the judgment seat of Christ isn't, can you turn it down just a little bit, son? Uh, the judgment seat of Christ um, is not a judgment of sin. Uh, if it would be a judgment of sin, and you were to have one sin brought into account on that day, he would have no choice but just to throw you into hell. Uh, that's the wages of sin is death, separation from God. So if one sin would be there, uh, you would be in very big trouble. Uh, but because Jesus Christ died for you, and he took away your sins, uh, he covered them, he removed them from you, and imputed to you his righteousness, you can stand boldly before God knowing that not one sin will be revealed that day. Now, I'll tell you why it is that we need to deal with sin, though. Because he left us down here, I've always said this, in a corrupt soul, and a corrupt body. Uh, we're weak in so many ways. Uh, we're deficient in so many ways. And we also we know the Bible says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. So really, you know that you sin, and you sin quite often. Uh, more than you probably realize, <laughs> you know. And, uh, but that's why the Lord had to take care of the penalty first. He says, I cannot keep holding over you this because you'll do nothing but fear every day that you're going to hell because you would. There's no way you could overcome sin in your own strength, in your own way. Um, but then he also removed the power of sin uh, when he died on the cross. So you don't have to have sin dominate your life anymore. It's no longer, it no longer has dominion over you. If you feel I can't break in the habit of sin in your life, it's not because you can't. It's because you haven't, uh, you, you haven't uh, afforded yourself or, or attached yourself to the power of God to overcome that. Uh, because you know you can. Because the power of God has been given to you and the power of sin has been broken. And so you don't have to live in a habitual lifestyle of sin. Uh, if, if that's the case and you believe that, it's just because you're deceived. And you're, the devil has somehow twisted you to think that you can't. And that's a very powerful thing when you're convinced that you can't do something. Amen. No matter what it is. Um, so the sins in a positional way have been removed. But yet he's left us here in this world. Uh, the city of Jerusalem is a picture of the believer's life. A city of peace. He wants that to be a city of peace. But there's still gates that he's put in the walls. And these gates are there for practical reasons. This gate here, the dung gate, of course, is exactly what you think it is. 
It's the place where they bring the refuse of the city out and dump it into the valley and burn it there. And so they would bring criminals there uh, that didn't have graves, that they didn't bother to put into a grave. They'd bring the carcasses of animals down there. They'd burn that. Uh, the garbage of the city, the refuse of the city, it was a pretty filthy thing as you would look outside of that gate at the valley. Um, and so there's a practical aspect that the Lord is still wanting you as a believer to deal with your practical sins. Because if you don't, you can't have fellowship with God. And you need that fellowship so you, that you have the power of God, so you can do His will. Uh, even though one day you'll stand before the Lord, He won't see one sin. He's not going to hold one sin against you. Yet while we're here in our corrupt soul, in our corrupt body, with a sealed spirit. We're in this position now where we have to deal on a daily basis with this temptation and the sin in our life, and he's wanting us to use this gate. It was necessary to have this gate in the Christian's life, okay? Not, not a lost person's life. There's no sense in bringing out the gate because it's just full of sin, you know? But with a believer's life, we can remove it. We can have a clean city. We can have a clean heart. And that's what the Lord wants us to, to have here. That valley outside this gate of Jerusalem um, was a place where they had an idol set up at one point in the past. Jeremiah wrote about this. You'd see this uh, with, the, with the early kings. It was an idol of Moloch. And they would offer children upon that altar. It was an idol whose hands were stretched out like this. And there'd be a fire underneath in the belly of Moloch, and they'd put their children on the arms of this idol, and they would be burned alive as a sacrifice to that god. Well, that's filthy and ungodly, but that's exactly what they did. Second Chronicles 28.3, it says, Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and burnt his children in the fire, after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Jeremiah 7.31, it says, And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Uh, God said, I've never even insinuated in any way that this is how you ought to treat your kids. This is, uh, this is uh, satanic from its core, you know. Yet this is how man in their sin nature... Uh, came up with ideas with Satan's uh, influence to, to murder children. And uh, they thought they were accomplishing something. They thought somehow maybe they'd get uh, some blessing on their crops or maybe there's some great thing that was happening and they're trying to uh, avert a disaster of some kind and, and they would offer their children as a sacrifice to, that these gods would change the circumstance or situation. But God says, I have never required you to do something like that, <laughs> you know. Well, we know the devil, he's a liar and he's a murderer. So he lied to them, they started developing this idea, and then he began murdering the children. Uh, just like we see today with the abortions and so forth, it starts with a lie. The whole thing about the, uh, the, the body being sovereign and you know, the women's choice and so forth, that's a dirty, rotten, stinking lie. And that lie leads to murder. And that's exactly what, how the devil works over and over and over again in every part of our society. And so later on, after, the, after this uh, you know, idol worship stopped, because we know that after Israel was brought into captivity and they were brought back again 
to, to Jerusalem in, from Babylon after 70 years that they no longer worshiped idols. Uh, they totally said, you know, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> you know, they had their fill. They, they got pulled over into Babylon, and then all of a sudden they had this big golden statue they're all supposed to bow down to. And if they didn't bow down to it, they're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace and things like that. And so they got their fill of the idol thing. And so when God sent them back, they says, no more of this. Now, their idols moved to a different place and moved to a place in their heart. But yet at the same time, the idols of Molech and those type of gods were no longer worshipped by Israel because God cured them. <laughs> and he knows how to do that. And so later on, when the, because of the desecration of Molech and these other gods, uh, what they would do is use this valley instead of using it for productive means, they would actually use it to burn the refuse of the land because they, there was no other way that they could use it in good conscience because of everything that's gone on in that filthy place. And so they'd bring the dead carcasses of animals and the filth of Jerusalem and the, the criminals and different things they wanted to burn. That's what they would do in this valley. It was later that Jesus, when he preached, used this valley as a illustration. We see that in Matthew 5, 21. It says, you have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in a danger of the council. But whosoever say, shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. That word hell is, uh, is, comes from the Greek word Gehenna. And that, that comes from that valley of Hinnom. Okay? And so Jesus Christ would use this burning uh, valley as an illustration of the lake of fire. And in his sermons, he would many times point to it and say, this is what the lake of fire is like. And it was a fire that would burn 24-7. It would never go out. And so they would always be bringing, you thinking a, a whole city of people bringing their garbage out, bringing the things in that fire would never go out. And the Lord was using that as an illustration of the fires of Gehenna, the lake of fire. Jesus Christ preached on that more than anybody else. He was warning people of that place called hell. In Luke 12, verse 5, it says, But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Yeah. He's talking about the Lord. Mark 9, verse 42, it says, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell and into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And he's all pointing, and every time he's saying hell, Gehenna, Gehenna, the lake of fire. This is the, we're not even talking about Hades here. We're not talking about the place that's in the center of the earth today. That's the local jail. That's what that is. We're talking about the penitentiary. We're talking about the lifelong, the lifers are in this one. 
And when he's talking about Gehenna, he's not talking about the, the center of the earth and that place that the, the souls are being held today. Uh, that's just a temporary place. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, the death and hell shall be cast into the lake of fire that is Gehenna. And so we know that whatever is in the center of this earth where these souls are being kept right now in this local jail type situation experiencing the torment and we know that from the rich man who says one drop of water on my tongue we know it's no picnic down there and yet for a little reprieve they'll be brought before the great white throne and then everybody in that place in that locality is going to be cast into the lake of fire which is going to be the penitentiary the lifelong the the eternal torment of the lake of fire which is something far worse than even what they've been experiencing in the place called hell or hades okay so that's the difference hades is the local jail gehenna is the penitentiary all right and so when jesus is preaching here he's talking gehenna he's talking the the eternal torment he's talking where the, the fire is not quenched where the worm dieth not where your mind and you, you go crazy in your thinking and so forth. That's why he's saying it's better if, if your hands are keeping you from getting saved. If your hands are keeping you from receiving Christ, cut it off. If your eye is keeping you, and folks, this is true. Many times people don't get saved because of the things they want to go and do and see and be a part of. Remember I told you about the guy who didn't want to get saved because he didn't want his beer taken from him. He loved his alcohol so much. Uh, Jesus said you'd be better off without the alcohol, without a hand to hold the bottle and go into heaven with one hand than go into hell with all the alcohol you could ever want. You, you won't enjoy it there. Amen. And the Lord wants us to choose the kingdom of God. And he makes that so uh, clear in this passage. He's not saying, I want people to go to hell. He's saying, I want you to be saved. I want you to do what you need to do to make sure that you go into the kingdom of God. Amen? Yeah. And so, what a, what a powerful truth that is. The Bible says in James 3, 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. And that word hell is Gehenna. Wow, that, that nature of the tongue is pretty wicked. Pretty wicked, pretty evil. So all this filthiness that's going to be in Gehenna one day. And right now Gehenna is empty. There's nobody in Gehenna right now. The first one that will be there will be the Antichrist and the false prophet. They'll be there for a thousand years by themselves, for one thousand years. And then after that, the devils and the, uh, the demons and the, the lost and the people in hell will be cast in. And then they'll get their company. I'll tell you something, it's not a place anybody wants to even consider that somehow it would be a place that's okay for me to go. You hear these people with the loud mouths with the great swelling words, oh, I just want to go where my friends are. We're going to have a big party in hell. That's not what happens in hell. There's no parties in hell. <laughs> there is no friends in hell. You'll have nobody that you love down there. There is no love there. There is no light there. It's a place of utter darkness. Everything that you experience, even in the least bit, about God as far as light and goodness and, and the comfort, it's because God is here. And even the loss, even Hitler and, and all these wicked men, they're experiencing truly the grace of God. Just that so they can get up in the morning, have the sunshine on their face, enjoy the cool breeze and all these different things that God has given them. All those things will be gone one day. There is no 
light. There is no love. There is no friends. There is no family. There is no camaraderie. There is no loyalty. There is none of that kind of stuff. You're just going to be alone, and there's going to be hatred and screaming, and it's going to be a terrible place for anybody to spend eternity. And that's why we're out there knocking doors and telling people that they can be saved. Amen? We don't want them to go to Gehenna. All right? And this is the example that he's giving about this valley, the Valley of Hinnom. And so this is, this, is, this is the quality of the things that God wants you to deal with in your personal life. He wants you to throw it into the lake of fire. These things that we think, well, it's not so bad. Well, it's worthy of Gehenna. It's worthy of, of going into hell. It's worthy. It, it, it's, it's definitely worthy of hell. And so you think about it. Well, it's not so bad. And the Lord is forgiving. He still says, throw it out. Throw it out. Get rid of it. Why are you playing with it? Amen. We don't need this stuff in our life. Well, I'm, I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm saved. <laughs> well, that's great. But I'll tell you something. It cost Jesus a lot to get you to that place. Let's honor him by living a clean and pure life before him. Amen. Because that, that sin, it's worthy of hell. It's worthy of Gehenna. And that's the picture that we have here. God commands us to live holy lives. In Deuteronomy 23, 14, it says, For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee and to give up thine enemies before thee. Therefore shall thy camp be holy, that he see no unclean thing in thee and turn away from thee. Think about that. He says, I'm walking in the middle of you. I'm spending time with you in the camp. And because I am here, he says, you keep the camp holy. Because if you start letting garbage into your life, he says, I'm out of here. I'm not going to spend time fellowshipping with you. Now, maybe you're going to be sealed into the day of redemption and you're going to be saved and praise God for that. But I'll tell you something, you'll have no fellowship with God. In this life, he wants to walk into your home. He wants to live in your home. He wants to be with you in your home. Don't allow garbage in your home where the Lord is going to say, hey, I can't hang out here. The way that we ought to do, and we go to somebody's place that are doing things and saying things that aren't glorifying to God, and instead of leaving that house, we stay there, we just put up with it. Well, I'll tell you something, you ought to get up and get out of that house. That's exactly what God would do. Well, God's not intimidated. I know that, but you know what? He, why would he want to hang around with sin if he doesn't have to? Amen? That filthy stuff that put his son on that cross, that brought such suffering and shame to his boy. Amen? Boy, sometimes our boys get offended and we're just on their side. We just want to fight for them. Don't you think the father has that same heart for his son? Don't think for a second that he's going to put up with your sin in your life. Don't think for a second that he's going to say, I just wink at that because, you know, I I died for your sins. It's okay. Grace covers all your sins. I'm sorry, my friend. He looks very detrimentally at sin. He doesn't want it in your life. Amen? That's why we have the dung gate. That's why the Lord wants you to rebuild that gate in your life so you keep throwing things out. And guess what? It's going to be a busy gate. (laughs) I wouldn't doubt that every day there's stuff probably more more than the other gates. Busy, busy gate. (laughs) And it ought to be busy every day, every morning, every night. Amen. The Bible says of 1 Peter 1.15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The conversation means lifestyle. And so we need to examine our lifestyle. What are we doing that's not pleasing to God? What are we doing that is sin? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. 
What's keeping me from doing the things that God wants me to do? I need to bring that through the dung gate, <laughs> whatever that is. You know, there's some things that you'll bring through the dung gate that I don't have to, because those things for you are keeping you from doing the will of God. And for me, they're not. Do you understand? And if anything keeps you from doing the will of God, they're worthy of hell. They're worthy of Gehenna. God wants you to be so fine-tuned when it comes to dealing with your lifestyle. Ephesians 1.4, it says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's his choosing. His choosing is, this is what I want to see in you. I want you to be before me in holiness and love. Wow. So you want to know what God's all-around purpose is for you? It's right there. That's, that's his plan. That's why he sent his son. That's why everything's in play the way it is in, so that you can stand before the Lord holy and in love. Amen. And having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And so we need to take that seriously. Number two, God commands us to separate from morally unclean things. Isaiah 52, 11 says, Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence. Touch no unclean thing. Go you out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Amen. If anybody bears the vessels of the Lord today, it's the church of, of, of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the vessel bearers, amen? We're the ones that are serving him. We are the ones that have to do these things. And the Bible says, don't touch that unclean thing. That's going to affect you. It's going to hurt you. I know in the Old Testament, it says, don't touch a dead body. Don't do this. God had all kinds of laws for Israel. And maybe there's some things, well, I don't want to touch a dead body, and I won't today, amen, unless you really have to. But you know what? He's just trying to teach us the difference between clean and unclean. Don't eat these things with fins and uh, eat these things with a cloven hoof and so forth. And you say, man, I can't keep up with all of that. What am I supposed to eat? Well, you go to the New Testament, it says you can eat everything for all creatures are given if you will, if you will give them, if you'll have them with thanksgiving for they're sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Amen. So these people that come up to you, oh no, the Finns and the this and the, I'm sorry. They are living in, in Israel. They are thinking they're a Jew when they are not. Amen. And in fact, the Jews today don't even have to follow that. Because when Jesus Christ came, we have the substance to the shadow. We don't need the shadows anymore. Those were el illustrations of the difference between the clean and the unclean. The thing that Daniel didn't eat with the king, whatever that meat was, you could probably eat it today, and it would not be a problem before our God. But because it was part of their dietary laws, he was just simply taking a stand based on what God has said. Amen. It's not about the meat or this, that, or the other. But that has very little to do with it. It has everything to do with what thus saith the Lord. And so if today he says you can eat all creatures, then just mark it down. You can eat all creatures. Now, I don't want to eat all creatures. There's some creatures I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to eat snakes and all these kind of things. I'm, we were talking today. This is, oh, I don't like seafood. Well, you don't have to eat them. Isn't that great? You don't have to. But you can't go to people and say you're not right with God if you don't eat seafood or if you do or so forth. Anybody that's living in that type of economy is very poor in their relationship with God. Don't follow that stuff. Be careful. 
Because they're out there and they're trying to distract your Christianity. And they're trying to bring you back into a bondage situation when he has set you free. He's got certain things he wants you to focus on. And your dietary laws is not one of them. Amen. Praise God for that. But we still got to be careful. Amen. We had some apple dumplings for lunch, man. I'll tell you, that was whoo. With vanilla ice cream. You guys ever had that? If you have not, you need to talk to my wife. Uh, I mean, you could sell one of those for $20. I, I'm serious. We'll sell it. $20 a piece. You guys won't want to know. <laughs> but I'll tell you something. Some good food out there. We still have to be careful. We can't be gluttons and all these things that the Bible warns us about. But we cannot give ourselves back to those dietary laws and the different things that the uh, Israel had to be careful of. Man, I sure like having my bacon when I want it. But Israel couldn't eat bacon. They couldn't eat no pigs. Amen. And, and people go, oh, no pork, and just say, be quiet. I'm listening to what God says, not you. You're a liar. He's true. Amen. Anyways, 2 Corinthians six seventeen says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's what it's all about. He says, I'm walking in the midst of you. I want you to make sure that you keep the camp clean. Keep your life clean. I want to have full control of your heart. I want to have full access to your life. Amen. But if we have unclean things, he says, I can't use you. I can't even be close to you. I want to be close to you. And I can't even receive you like a son. You know, you are my son, but I can't be close to you. You know, smoking that cigarette all the time. Smoking that dope. Taking those pills. And by the way, some of the pills we're taking, I don't care if a doctor gives them to you or whoever gives them to you, you got to stop taking those things if you don't need them. Amen. You better have a good reason why you're taking them. <laughs> Amen. Because sometimes I think it's just a mess with our brains. And that's why the Bible says be sober. Be vigilant. He's talking about being sober-minded. Don't let yourself be intoxicated by substances and things. And I don't care if they legalize it or they don't legalize it. It really doesn't matter because thus saith the Lord, not thus saith Trudeau. You know, don't touch. The word touch means to attach oneself to. Don't connect to things that are unclean. You know, in life, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to accidentally bump into something. You can say, oh, is this okay? And you may even take part of it once. And later on, after a while, the Holy Spirit of God says, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. Oh, okay, I'm not going to do that. I mean, you haven't attached yourself to it yet. But some people, they attach themselves to these things. They don't let it go and they make excuses and justify their behavior. Amen. Ephesians 4.25 says, Wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. By the way, you can give place to the devil through your anger. If you're an angry person, Satan's already got a hold in your life. You know? You got to be careful of that. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which are good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed into the day of redemption. He came into you, he sealed you. He put the king's seal on your soul. Amen. Why would we tempt that? Why would we allow things in that grieves him? And he's saying, oh, I don't want that so close to me. And he just pulls back and he just kind of, I'm here, but I'm not liking this. 
And we can feel that conviction. We can feel that displeasure of God in our hearts that God is not happy with what we're doing or what we're saying or where we're going. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know what malice is? Using something to hurt somebody. You know, sometimes I'm scared to even say anything about my life, even mention a weakness, because somebody's going to put it in their gun just to shoot it at me. It happens all the time. I can't even be honest with some people. I can't even tell you about what God's doing, because I've got to maintain this position here as a pastor, and, you know, oh, no, now I've got something I can use against a pastor. <laughs> That's malice. The Bible says we ought to never have that in our lives. We ought to be kind one to another, tenderhearted. And it's just a terrible thing because sometimes I can just see it in the eyes when somebody says something. Oh, man, they're going to use this against me one day. It's, it's wicked, man. You wouldn't think a child of God would do that, but they do that. <laughs> they do it a lot, you know. That's why God has to tell them, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So how do you separate from the unclean? Well, the first thing is we must be sober-minded and proving. Proving. That means testing. Sober means to abstain from wine. It means to watch and be discreet. So abstain from wine is really just simply uh, don't let anything uh, affect your thinking process. Don't let anything affect it. Don't take drugs and things that, that messes up your thinking. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't allow yourself to be involved in maybe some fantasy stuff where you escape reality. You understand that. Nothing wrong with playing a game here and there, but if that's your escape, if that's, well, this is what I do, well, I want to forget the world. I'm sorry, you're in the wrong place. You need to be sober. There's no time for you to leave this world. <laughs> you're in the middle of it, amen? I got nothing wrong with you know, sitting down and just taking a break and you know, just relaxing a little bit, but uh, there ought to be no escapes, yeah. amen? But that's what people do. Be calm, not under the influence of passion. Sober judgment. That's why we've got to be careful if we're always reacting to situations and our anger you know, uh, blows up on us and, or, or we get all excited every time something happens, then we know that we're not being sober. Something is controlling our reactions to things, you know? And maybe we're just feeling a little self-defensive here, you know, because, hey, uh, I don't want anybody to hurt me again. And you got bitterness in your heart because someone did something to you. And so that's why you put up the hackles every time something happens. Even that, you're not being sober, you know. The Bible says in Titus 1.8, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Titus 2.2, it says, and the aged men, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. Well, there you go. Just when I'm older, that's when I'll get sober. <laughs> well, then it goes on to say that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. So young women in the homes with children ought to be sober-minded. They ought to be under the influence of things in their life. Got to be careful of giving yourself over to the soap operas. Is that still a thing today? I don't even know. <laughs> I know way back in the 80s, soap operas was the big thing. And I mean, people would just give themselves to that. They send the kids off to school and spend all day living in another world. 
That's not sober. That's not living truth. And just in case you young men think you're off the hook here, it says in Titus 2, 6, Young men, likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Oh, so I don't get to sow my wild oats? Absolutely not. Because if you sow your wild oats, what's going to happen is you're going to be reaping a wild crop. And then you're going to cry and bellyache about it. And God's going to say, I'm not going to, I have no mercy on that. I mean, you want to have good crop, you sow good seed. It's just simple as that. I warned you about that. I'm not mocked. You've been mocking me. You mock God every time you, you think that somehow you're going to go on in sin and you're going to get away with it. It's a mock, mockery to God. Amen. He is not mocked. Say, so, well, it's been almost a year and nothing's happened. Well, it might happen to one big boom. <laughs> have some fear of God because it's true. It's true. Be sure your sin will find you out, the scripture says. Amen. Boy, he gives us many times some time to think about our, our mistakes and our issues before he has to expose them. We're sober because in 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And I'm surprised how many times people don't even understand the dangers that they're putting their lives in the dangers of their children and what they're doing with their kids' lives. Man, I, sometimes I see people making decisions saying, you know, the, the, folks, the Lord gave you a pastor. You know what a pastor is? A shepherd. And I mean, if you don't want me as a shepherd, that's fine. There's all kinds of shepherds you can have. But get yourself a shepherd for crying out loud. Get yourself somebody that lives outside of your situation that you're willing to listen to because your pride is not valuable enough to sacrifice your children upon. Over and over, I see these decisions being made and boy, I'd be able to tell you in five minutes that you ought not do that and the reasons why. This week I had somebody in my office says, Pastor, this is what I'm thinking. I says, well, let me tell you the dangers of that. That's what a pastor does. I told this person, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're going to do what you're going to do. And I can't tell you to do this, to do that. You'll say, then pastor's controlling my life. I didn't say that, but that's the way I think. (laughs) It's not what it's about. But I surely will be honest with you about the dangers. (laughs) Where you bring your kids, how you're getting your kids involved with different things. Oh, well, it's my life. I can do what I want. I'm the boss. Sure you are. And you'll pay the price for it. I don't want that for you. Why would you want that? My goodness, man. Get rid of the pride. Humble yourself before the Lord and and understand that the Lord gave you a local church so you could be helped in decisions and maybe there's something that you just don't see. Oh, I see everything. Sacrifice them on your pride. Amen? It's it's, It's like putting them in the arms of Moloch. So many times I see children being sacrificed like that. Because mom and dad are too proud to seek for advice. Too proud to seek counsel. Because somehow they'll look weak. Well, you are weak. I'm weak. You're weak. The only thing is this, that God has put a calling on my life and he's given me an insight into things that sometimes I have an answer. And when I don't have an answer, I'll say, you know what? Let's pray about this and let's get an answer. But you need someone to keep you in check because you will destroy your life. That's why you need church. But there's no man here that's an island to himself that you can live your life and make all your decisions without making a mess of it. 
And that's, by the way, that's why you also need the person next to you. <laughs> the Bible says that we ought to provoke one another into love and to good works. That means when we see somebody not doing it right, we go there and we just prod them and poke them a little bit and say, hey, you ought not be doing that or maybe you should be doing this. Well, I don't go to that church because they're always poking me. Well, the Bible tells us to poke you. And you ought to be poking someone else too to do right. And you shouldn't be poking them to do wrong. As a person in pride does that. A prideful person, they'll go and they'll start poking people to do the wrong thing because they want them to be just as proud as they are and turn their backs on the things of God. At least I'm gonna, the ship's not going down alone. My goodness, man. Where did I get off on this? <laughs> Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil. He's an adversary. He's, an, he, he's against you. He's working against your life. The devil's not your friend. <laughs> he has got a, he's got a plan for you. He knows your name. He knows your situation. He knows your weaknesses. And he knows how to get you to make decisions that's going to slowly take you away from the things that are protecting you. Because that's what he does. We went to the zoo this last Monday. They had a lion there. I heard that lion died or one of them. But this lion, I don't know if it was the one that died or whatever. Also, we were sitting on this bench because I go there for the benches. <laughs> we were sitting on this bench and also we heard this, this deep room. Just what in the world is that? We just kind of just, just shiver down your spine. And James just says, oh, that's the male lion. Sure enough, we looked, and here he was coming. And he, was, he saw all the people sitting by the, sitting by the, the window looking in at the lions, and he came from this side, and he said, whoa! And it just shook. What they do is they dig their claws into the ground, and through their, actually through their claws, it vibrates into the ground. It's so powerful that the, that the animals in front of them feel it in the ground as, as they hear the roar. What do you think they would do? Run towards a lion or away? That lion's trying to feed his pride. So he's doing that deep growl so he can push the, these lions or, or the prey towards the female lions that are on the other side. So he's coming from this side and here are all these people are watching and <laughs> boy, you're just glad that, that, that fence is between you. What he was trying to do is scare the people to go that way. To go feed his, his lion, lioness. Wow. <laughs> be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Who's going to respond to this vibration? Who's going to respond to this roar? <laughs> and sometimes he knows exactly what to do to get you to make your choices. So every choice you make, every deviation and plan, every step you take in your Christian life, you ought to make sure that what you're doing is okay. Am I reacting to a roar here? Because many times Christians do that. And all you're going to do is feed. Feed the lions. Wow. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.10, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowships with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We're trying to be all tolerant. I'm just putting up with this because we're so loving. No, you're just influencing and, and, and infecting your life. There ought to be no sin allowed in your life. 
or in your home. You got to stop it. I've seen so many parents that let their kids just do all kinds of ungodly things in their home. I don't care if it's a video game that's filthy. I don't care if it's a movie that's filthy. Those things ought to be turned off, destroyed. And dad ought to be the one to stand up and say, this ain't happening around here. Because you know what's happening. The devil's trying to destroy your kids. He's trying to destroy you. Love them enough to prove it. To test it. I know that's hard because you want to be your kid's friend. Well, I'm sorry, you can't. You're a parent. You can't be your kid's friend. That's why sometimes they turn on you. Well, my friends, they love me. No, your friends are the, are the lion's allies. Once you get all eaten up, they're going to walk away and say, oh, well, too bad. Yeah. You know who's going to be crying for you? Your parents. They're the ones that care. Amen. You be careful of these devils out there. The unfruitful works of darkness. First Thessalonians 5.21 Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So your three parts. God wants all three parts of you to be sanctified. Your body ought to be a living sacrifice. I know it's broken down. I know it's a, it's a house of clay. But God says, I want that clay to glorify me. And I know your soul. You've got weaknesses and you've got problems. and You're battling in your mind and all these things. But he says, I want to sanctify you through my truth. I've got to move real quickly here. So sober. Sober in evaluation of yourself. You need to look at yourself honestly. It's the biggest problem. People don't analyze themselves. They don't evaluate where they are personally. They evaluate everybody else, but they don't evaluate themselves. You need to find out what's going on. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. That's the evaluation. Well, I'm okay. Well, be careful, because when you say you're okay, it's probably because you're not. <laughs> you evaluate your, your, your strength. Where does your strength come from? Are you really relying on Christ to do the things you're doing? Because you can only go in the flesh so and so long and you're going to crash. Amen? But the Lord can give you strength to do all kinds of things. Sober in examination of yourself as well. You've got to examinate with judgment. Oh, I've got so many things. I can't teach all this. What should I do, folks? <laughs> yeah, right. That's one. <laughs> sober in evaluation. Sober in the expectancy of Christ. You know that the Bible says, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. 1 John 3, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so this whole thought is that when Jesus Christ comes, I'm going to be changed drastically into the image of Christ. 
So it goes on to say, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So in other words, if you have the hope and the expectation of Christ's coming and becoming like him, and if that's a real part of your daily life, he says you will also daily be purifying your life. And if you're not daily purifying your life, then what's happening is you're not living in the expectation of Christ. It's kind of like when we're at home and the parents leave you at home to clean up the house. And they don't tell you when they're coming back. When you think that they're coming back, you're going to make sure that everything's clean. Because you know when they get home, it's getting clean real quick. Except maybe with a little belt behind it. You understand that? A little shame is what it is. So what you do is instead of waiting, uh, you know, leaving it up to chance, you say, well, you know what we're going to do? Let's just, let's just get this done. Let's just purify the home so that when, the, when, when, when our parents come, they'll be pleased with us, that we did everything they've asked us to do. See, that's how, someone that lives in expectation of Christ. But if you're not dealing with your personal life, you're not dealing with sin in your life, you're not living in the expectation of Christ. To you, it's, it's some pipe dream. <laughs> Folks, the Bible says he could come at any moment. You can't even give it a time. You can't even say it could be soon because soon is a time limit. You've got to say it just could be now. It could be at any moment. I can't even look ahead and say, oh, soon he's going to be here. Maybe next year. I can't say that because he said that my return is imminent. That means I'm coming and I'll catch you at a time when you're not ready. So if you're not dealing with your life, he's going to catch you in that position. And the Bible says that you're going to be ashamed when you see him. Hey, folks, it's not worth carrying all your bitterness and your offenses and all these different things. Because when it comes to the end, those people that you're bitter at, they're not going to be standing there and, and you're going to be able to say, God, see, they're the ones that may be like this. God's going to say, you shut your mouth, you thumb sucker. Let, let's look at my son a little bit here. Let's just look at what he did for you. If anybody has a right to suck his thumb, it would be my son, and he chose not to do that. And he says, you ought to follow my footsteps. Amen? Folks, don't think that you going through hard th times gives you the right, that you don't have to do the right thing. <laughs> Those hard times, if, if you would really see the value in that, it's God's gift to you to make you a better person. And I look back at my life, and I'm glad that I went through what I went through. I'm not going to sit here bellyache about all the things that happened to me when I was a kid. Oh, I went through such hard things. I thank God for it. I wouldn't change it. There's things that God has taught me through that that people don't even understand. I have an insight into things when I'm dealing with people that, that they don't even understand and people around me don't understand because I've been there and I've seen it and I know and not only that, within the problems, you see the reaction of others. So you get the good examples, you get the bad examples. I can, you can write a book about every trial you go through and the things that you have learned and how it's made you stronger. And all those things will help somebody if you'll let it. So the last thing the Lord's going to do is stroke you when you meet him one day and try to give an excuse as to why you didn't purify your life. Amen. He's going to say, you really messed up here. 
I did all these things and allowed these things to make you a better person. And he'll show you what would have happened if you would have, if you would have had a life of ease. So if I wouldn't have done that, you would have turned out to be like this. But I put a little pressure on you because I want you to be better than that. And sometimes mom and dad do the same thing to kids. Parents just let their kids do what they want. They don't love them. Your kids just don't turn out just automatically. It takes, it takes pressure from above. It takes pressure from mom and dad. You've got to be on them. And I know you're saying no a whole lot more than you say yes. But that's the way it's supposed to be. Because there's desires in your children's hearts that are not good. And you have to say no to them. <laughs> oh, you, if you'd love me, you'd let me. No, I love you too much to let you destroy your life. They don't understand. They don't have the wisdom. That's where we're supposed to come in. Amen. The expectation of Christ. I'm going to leave you this last point. Sober in the expelling sin from your life. Taking it through the gate. How do I take it through the gate, preacher? <laughs> the sin of my life. The problems. The bitterness. Well, the first thing you got to do, well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, it says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's a great verse for this. Flesh and spirit. I know your spirit. I can tell people spirit. Let's look them in the eye. Sometimes I see our young people, you could tell that mom and dad just gave them the gears. Nice spirit. See, your spirit is shown on your face. Your spirit is shown in your attitude. Well, I don't care. That's your spirit. See, that's a filthy spirit. And the Bible says you ought to cleanse that spirit. It ought to be a submissive spirit. It ought to be a holy spirit. Amen? It ought to be a clean spirit. The first thing we need to do is hate sin. If you don't hate sin, you're not going to get rid of it. You know, the things that I throw out, I don't like them. <laughs> if I like them, I keep them. If I don't like them, I throw them out. Hoarders, they like too many things. <laughs> That's the problem. They just need to learn not to like so many things. Amen? Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride, arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. You got to hate it. You know, I was, I was really praying uh, for somebody, my barber, and I, I would go to him constantly, but, you know, what was happening is he was starting to get so loose with his talking. One day I brought one of my friends in to get a haircut, and all they were listening to was just F-bombs, and that was the last time I went, because I hate it. I hate it. I don't want to hear your filthy language. I hate that. I hate your sin. I don't want to be around your filth. And you shouldn't want to be around my filth. <laughs> Amen. I, I don't want to hear about your sexual issues. I mean, unless you're dealing with them getting right. I'll help you through that. But a lot of people, they talk, well, this is what I did on the weekend. Shut your mouth, you filthy pig. I hate that. You should hate it too. You should do whatever you can to get it out of your life and stop it. <laughs> Amen. Well, I'll tell you, if you don't hate your sin, you're not going to deal with it. You don't hate your sin, you're never going to put it out of the gate. You've got to hate it first. If you hate it, it'll go out. 
If you love it, it's going to stay in. It all has to do with your love and hate. Then you've got to confess. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I, have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Confess and get into agreement with God. Confessing isn't just saying, oh, I feel sorry that I went through all this. Sorry doesn't mean anything. Confession is you saying, God, what I did was against you. And you are right and I am wrong. I should not have done this. It was a wrong thing to do. And because of that, I have sorrow. There's a sorrow. But we start with the sorrow. We say, sorrow, okay, what about? No, get an agreement with God about it. Talk to him about it. Say, Lord, I agree with you. <laughs> the things that I have been doing, I hate it now and I want it out of my life. I don't want to do these things anymore. I confess them. Amen. Not only confess them, but forsake it. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Happy is a man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. So even today, I'm preaching this, I'm giving you this. You know, you know there's things in your life you know aren't right. You know you need to throw some things out of the dung gate. And yet instead of just grabbing that thing tonight and throwing it out, you're just going to... That's called hardening the heart. See, the moment you hear, the moment the Holy Spirit says, this is a problem, you've got to deal with it. And if you don't, it's because you're hardening your heart. And that's a dangerous thing because the Bible says you will fall into mischief. You need to confess and forsake sin. You need to renounce sin. Renounce it. 2 Corinthians 4.1 Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Not walking in craftiness, because when you try to hide dishonesty, you're always crafty. You're crafty in what you say, you're crafty in what you do, you're crafty in how people perceive you, you're never just who you are. Folks, the greatest compliment you can ever have is someone say, hey, you know, you're the same here as you were there. You're the same in church, you're the same at supermarket, you're the same at the post office, you're the same wherever because you're not a crafty person. Crafty person's always trying to be a chameleon, always trying to put on a show, you know. Renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. It says, not, not, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully because sometimes when, when I don't want to deal with stuff, I start taking you know, some liberties with passages. Well, this is what I'm doing. Well, I'm sorry, that's out of context. See, you're mishandling scripture. That's immediately what happens when you're trying to justify your sin. You will always go to the scripture. That's why maybe, well, Jesus turned water into wine. I say, what passage is that? Old or New Testament? <laughs> they don't even know. Because they just heard somebody and they're just parroting. Because all I want to do is drink wine and someone said that Jesus turned water into wine. And so that's good enough for me because it doesn't matter what you say, I'm drinking it anyways. <laughs> Having the word of God deceitfully. Amen. Instead of finding out what the scripture really says about that wine that Jesus turned from water. Amen. It says, but by manifestation of the truth 
commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So what happens sometimes is people, they, they try to put on a show for people. This is what I want you to see about my life. But the Bible says that your life ought to be a, an open book. A manifestation of the truth to the consciences of people. And when they look at you and say, oh, you shouldn't be like this. It doesn't bother you. You say, oh, wow, then I shouldn't. You're not full of pride. <laughs> you deal with what you need to deal with. <laughs> because you hate sin. And sometimes you just don't know it's there. And sometimes somebody that loves you is going to come to you and tell you that it's there. And you're going to say, thank you very much. That's why the Bible says that a wise man will love you if you reprove him. But a foolish man will hate you. <laughs> They'll turn on you. Scorner. Oh, reprove not a scorner unless they bring you shame. That means when you reprove somebody and they turn against you and they start saying all kinds of filthy things about you, you've just identified a scorner. Never in the scripture do you see a scorner ever get right. The Bible just says walk away from a scorner. But they're living in sin. I need to help them. No, you just need to walk away. They're going to hit their brick wall. It's a terrible thing. <laughs> see it all the time. Lots of scorners out there. A lot of Christian scorners. Lots of them. Don't be one. Renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. Things that are in here, the lies. The lies that you believe so you can be seduced by your bitterness. People are very much seduced by their bitterness. They like being bitter. Being bitter gives them some kind of feeling of power over somebody else. Like, I'm bitter at you and I'm holding this against you. You've got power. You're being seduced by the power of bitterness. Not realizing you're the only one that's being hurt. That other person has, has no impact in that. They really aren't even thinking about you. <laughs> you know? It's just you and your little mind, your little world up here. You know? Renounce that. Renounce. That means you take back. That means that Satan has gained ground in your heart and mind through lies and all kinds of sin. You say, Lord, I want you to take back the ground that Satan has gained in my life. Whenever I deal with any of my kids, anything that they've gone through, we sit down and I say, you know what, you need to renounce that. Well, Dad, I listened to this wrong song. You need to renounce that. Well, I went with my friend here. This friend said this. Well, you need to renounce being involved with that. You don't let them just continue on in that thing. Well, it's just going to be okay. No, they need to renounce the hidden things of dishonesty. That's the way they feel clean. It just it allows the Lord to get back onto that playing field and, and be in control of their soul again. Amen? It's so important. The Bible says that if, you're, if the gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. And it's because of Christians not dealing with hidden dishonesty is why you're not a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You never can be. How can you be a witness of the truth of the gospel when you yourself are, have lies in your heart? You say, well, I'm just not like that. I'm, uh, uh, you know, other people know how to witness. So I can't. Nobody knows how to witness. <laughs> It's all something you just have to do you just, because God says you could do it and you should do it and God has called you to do it. You just need to go and do it and stumble over your words and just love them enough to tell them how you got saved. You'll learn how to do it. But this whole thing about, oh, it's just not my thing. I'm sorry, that's a lie. 
Well, I know they're good at it, but I'm not. Well, that's a lie. You're holding on to lies to get away from serving God. I'd never be. <laughs> Renounce them. Renounce the lies. It's the only way you're going to go ahead in, in, in the service of God. It's the only way that you're going to have a fellowship with him. And that ought to be one of your driving goals <laughs> is that you can be close to God every day. That's how much you need him. It, it's almost like needing air. <laughs> as much as you need air. So if someone would say, I'm taking away your air tomorrow, what would you do to get that air? Well, I'd spend the rest of my day trying to get a hold of that air because <laughs> I know as soon as that air is gone, I can't breathe. You know, you need God just like you need air. And whatever's in the way, you need to get rid of it. You need to fellowship with him. Spend time with him. Amen. He wants to be a father to you. Boy, when he's your father, he does things. Your prayers are answered. He blesses your life. Have you had an answer to prayer lately at all? Or it was just a real answer to prayer in your life? It's because you're walking with God. It's a good thing. Some of those situations in your life, if you would give your life back to the Lord and you would pray about it, you could change those things through prayer. But because you're not walking with the Lord, you're not helping that situation, whether it be a child, whether it be a family member. Uh, you being away from God isn't helping. You want to help your child? Get right with God. Walk with him. Start talking with him. And then he'll say, oh, let me show you something. And then you'll see clearly what he's doing. He's, oh, Lord, it's so good to be close to you. Amen. It's good to know that you're working in my family. You can have that confidence. This is the confidence that we have in the Lord. It says in 1 John that when we ask him, we have, give him our petitions that he answers us. Many of us don't have that confidence because there's hidden things of dishonesty in our heart. We don't deal with it. So we're not walking with the Lord. Amen. The dung gate. <laughs> bring it out. Is there something tonight the Lord is saying, you need to pick that thing up and bring it out that gate, throw it into that fire because that's what it's worth. It has no value to you. It will totally mess you up. You need to get it out of your life tonight, right now. Don't say, well, I'll deal with it later. Harden heart. I'm sorry. That's not the way it works. God planned it that when you hear what the Spirit says, that you act upon it. And whenever you don't, remember Israel, they were supposed to go into the land. Oh, no, we can't go in the land. And then guess what? God says, okay, I'm not letting you in. Next day, you know what? Oh, we'll go in now. <laughs> this tomorrow stuff doesn't come. You got to do it now. Whatever it is the Lord is putting on your heart, to you do it now. You figure out the details later, but you do it now. You don't know how it's all going to work out, but you do it now. You bring it out the dung gate. Then, well, somebody won't like it if I bring it out the dung gate. Who cares what about people like you? Just bring it out the dung gate. Just get rid of it out of your life. And let the Lord sort out. You, you'll be pleasantly surprised how much better your life will be.